I was unfamiliar with the phrase. And so as he was saying, as he, as he sat us down and said, okay, guys, we're going to have some real talk. It took me a second to figure out what he was talking about. And eventually I realized that this phrase real talk has to do with being honest. It's, it has to do with sort of getting your feelings out on the table in front of everyone. Just, just being genuine with everyone. Well, today we're going to look at a meeting, a conversation between Jeremiah and God in heaven where God had some things on his heart and he had some real talk with Jeremiah and for our, and it's a blessing for us because Jeremiah wrote it down. And so we get a little window into this conversation between God and Jeremiah and we get to hear what was on God's heart and what he wanted Jeremiah to know at that time. So we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, we have the, the scriptures on the screen. Before we start reading, though, we're going to pray. Father, I ask for your spirit to meet with us now. I ask that you uh, open our hearts wide to your word. Help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to connect with the scriptures. I pray that they make sense to us, that we can, we can sort of get into what they're, what, to what's going on. And God, that we can leave here brought closer to you more aware of who you are and what's on your heart so that we can be more aware of what should be on our heart and who we should be to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 6. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after uh, they, she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also, she also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immortality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. So it's early in Jeremiah's ministry. King Josiah is king over the nation of Judah. King Josiah was a good king, and he was instituting many reforms. He was doing his best to try to try to win the people of Judah back to God. They had fallen for the past 50 or 60 years so far from God that they were committing uh, uh, they were worshiping, they were, they were engaging in idolatry in such a way that even the idolatrous nations that they learned it from didn't do. That's how far out there Judah had gotten. Yet the people were not buying in to Josiah's reforms. Consequently, God did to them what he had done to their brothers Israel about a hundred years prior. The backstory is that the people of Israel, God's chosen people, they left Egypt in the Exodus. After about a year of wandering, they went into the promised land. After several decades there, they eventually turned into a, an, an actual nation of people. 
the nation we call Israel. It lasted for a short time, and then there was a civil war, and they divided into north and south. The north part of the nation, what we call Israel, Jeremiah refers to them as Israel often, except when he doesn't, but the north part of the nation was called Israel, and they, right from the start, had bad kings, bad leadership, and they just went headlong into idolatry right from the start. And so only after a couple hundred years did they exist before God had enough. He said, look, you don't want to have a relationship with me. Fine, you can go worship your gods and do all the things that you want to do. And he allowed the kingdom of Assyria to destroy them and take them into captivity. So they were no more. They were exiled all over the, the kingdom of Assyria. The nation of Judah, the second half of Israel, was in the south. They lasted a few hundred years longer, a couple hundred years longer, because they had better leadership initially. And so they didn't quite go tumbling down the rabbit hole as quickly or as deeply as Israel did initially. So they lasted longer. But eventually, as this passage tells us, they eventually fell into the same sin as their sister Israel in the north, and God had the same consequence for them. The nation of Babylon was on the rise, and pretty soon they would be coming to invade and take Judah away into captivity just like Assyria had done to Israel. Now, Jeremiah, though, is more than just a, a, a story or an account of the fall of the nation of Judah. That's, the, that's sort of the context of Jeremiah. He was a prophet. He lived in Judah, the, re, the area we call Judah, the southern kingdom. And during his lifetime, Babylon came, Judah was no more. And Jeremiah's job was to preach that to the people and tell them to repent. No one listened. But his, his story is deeper than that. It goes beyond just this movement of world events and these historical uh, things that we look back now as just these historical events. He was a real person, and he actually had a real relationship with God. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah had a relationship with God like few people in history have had. He is actually in a conversation, he has recorded a conversation with God that he had in these verses. Imagine that. Imagine that you had such a connection with God that you could sit down and literally, I don't know how it worked, audibly or internally, however, but he literally heard what God wanted him to hear. He had that kind of a connection, that kind of a relationship. And in this interaction, we see God speaking to Jeremiah, and he's having real talk here. He's letting his feelings out. He's letting Jeremiah know how he feels about the condition of Judah. You know, one of the powerful things about reading the Bible is that if you're willing you can actually hear God speaking to you even today. You may not hear an audible word. You may not, you know, there may not be a vision that appears. I doubt that that kind of thing happens. It's rare anyways. It's very unusual. But just by reading the Bible, you can hear the voice of God speaking, not just in the, in the past, but in the presence, in the present, in your life 
today. I've got to say, as I've gotten into this study of Jeremiah, and as I've, I've meditated and read and, and reviewed and researched and dug into this book, it is more than I anticipated. I bit off more than I can chew. I will admit that freely. We're going to get through this, and I'm going to go, it was all wrong, i got to start it over. <laughs> but one thing that has happened is I really do feel more connected to what God feels about certain things. In, in, in Jeremiah, it's, it's always about adultery. I mean, I mean, idolatry, which God considered adultery to him. Worshiping other gods to him was like stepping out on a marriage. And it's really become, re, it's become, it's become very um, uh, current in my life to think about the things that are leading me astray, that pull me away from God, that are like idols, that they, they vie for my attention. Or just looking at the world and watching the news, heaven forbid, which I try to do very little. But, but when, we, when we look around, you can see what God feels what, 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 you can see what God sees and speaks to Jeremiah. You can see it happening in our day and age today. People just being led away into idolatrous ideas, beliefs, practices, ungodly teachings and behaviors. You can't watch a movie without it just pouring out in the script. There's something about God's word when you read it and you sit with it that it actually gives you a sense of what God feels about what your experience is. And I so appreciate Jeremiah for writing down this interaction that he had between God and himself. And one of the overriding emotions that comes out at me, I don't know what jumps out at you in this passage, but what jumps out at me is frustration. You can hear it in God's voice, in his words, how frustrated he is. Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? I mean, he is so frustrated with Judah, the condition of their hearts, where they're at in their relationship with him. He dearly loved them like he dearly loved Israel. Yet no matter what he tried to tell them through the prophets, through people like Jeremiah, no matter what he had them do, they just wouldn't listen. And in Judah's case, they just wouldn't believe that they were doing anything wrong. Relationships are difficult. They can be hard. But being in a relationship that's one way is incredibly frustrating. And that's exactly what God finds himself in. That's exactly the relationship he has at this time with the people of Judah in Jeremiah's day. It was a one-way relationship. God was doing all the reaching out. God was doing all the, the coming towards. And Judah was just talk to the hand, doing their thing just like their sister Israel had done a hundred years prior. Verse 11, The Lord said to me, Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. 
You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors, the foreign gods, under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me. In these verses and all the way into the next chapter, God instructs Jeremiah to speak to the people of Israel. Remember, Jeremiah was a prophet who lived in Judah, the southern part of the old nation we used to call Israel. And the northern part that we now call Israel has been exiled. They're scattered. They've been taken into captivity into the kingdom of Assyria. And God is telling Jeremiah, I want you to now go prophesy to them. I want you to go reach out to them. I want you to go talk to them. And he says this incredible statement. Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. How is that even possible? From the start, Israel, the northern half of the kingdom, went headlong into idolatry. From the start, as soon as there was a civil war, as soon as there was a break, that kingdom embraced all of the idolatry of all the nations around them. For 200 years, they didn't even have one good king until they eventually got destroyed and taken away into captivity. Somehow, they, in God's eyes, were more righteous than the current state of Judah that Jeremiah was living in. And remember, this is under King Josiah, a good king who was, who was doing reforms, trying to get people back on track, trying to be, bring people back to the old-timey faith, so to speak. How is that even possible? I got four things that popped into my mind, my reading. The first one is that Judah had Israel's example. How is it that Judah could be worse than Israel? Well, think about it. Israel, they jumped right in into idolatry right from the start. They didn't have a bad example to learn from. They just did it and then got a bad result. Judah, on the other hand, watched the whole thing happen. They saw everything Israel did. They saw what happened as a result. And they still jumped in with both feet and followed the example of Israel. That's one way in which Judah was more unrighteous than Israel. How many of you have had friends who you've watched head down bad roads and somehow you just went right down with them? What's the saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Shame on me for seeing what people do and following them, even knowing the outcome of that decision. But we all do it, don't we? That's what Judah did. They, they just ignored the example, and they just went headlong into the same mistake. Another thing, another reason why Judah could be called more unrighteous was Judah had the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah. All Israelites during the, the time of the United Kingdom, when there was one kingdom, every year they had to travel down to Jerusalem to worship God because that was the only place you were allowed to worship God was at the temple. The priests were there, the singers, the musicians, all of that stuff. <coughs> that was in Judah's backyard. When the kingdom divided, Israel stopped coming down. The northern tribes stopped coming down altogether. They started building their own shrines. But Judah still had the temple. They still had the priests. And somehow... They failed to believe in God. How many people grew up with a Bible sitting on the shelf, but no one ever opened it? It was just sitting there. 
or the idea, the concept of God was out there, but it was right in your, it was right in your midst, but you didn't pursue it. That's Judah. That's another reason why they were more unrighteous than Israel. A third reason was they had better leadership. As I said, right from the start, Israel's kings were terrible. You can read about them in the books, first and second kings. Israel's kings were terrible. You think we have terrible leaders? They had horrible leaders. Judah had some good kings, some great kings. They had some bad ones. It was a mixture. But even with all of that leadership, they failed to obey God. And I think the most damning, the most challenging thing, or, or, or yeah, mistake that Judah made was that they failed to acknowledge their guilt. If you've been in part of the series, we've been going through the book and we've been reading different prophecies and a number of times in some of the previous prophecies, God keeps saying, I'm telling you this is wrong and you keep telling me, no, it's not. I mean, that's where Judah got. Judah refused to believe that they did anything wrong. So in verse 12, God says to Jeremiah, go to Israel. Maybe they'll be more receptive than the people in Judah. And he invites Israel, the kingdom that left first, the kingdom that went headlong into idolatry and false worship and ended up being destroyed as a result. He said, go to them because they just might be more open. No matter how far Israel fell from God, God was never too far from them. He still was reaching out to them. And all they had to do, all that was being asked of them, was to be willing to learn from their mistakes, to be willing to return to the faith, to be willing to obey his word, and most importantly, to be willing to acknowledge their guilt, their mistakes. What does it mean to acknowledge guilt? Biblically, for, for Israel and Judah, it meant to admit that idolatry was a mistake, that they should never have done it, and to return to worshiping God alone. In context, that's exactly what God is asking them to do. When he said, acknowledge your guilt, what he's telling them is, look, hey, figure it out. Look around you. Look at the result of what you've done. Admit it. Come on. Admit it. You were wrong. Now come on back. That was it. That's all God was asking. That was the starting point for them to come back to him and him to re-engage them. More broadly, for our purposes, I think acknowledging your guilt means to agree that what God calls wrong is in fact wrong. And what God calls right is in fact right. In other words... Admit it when you're wrong. That's really what it is. Acknowledging your guilt is to say, yep, I made a mistake. I was wrong. And it's not fake. It's not pretense. You genuinely, you, gen you genuinely have accepted and believe that what you did was wrong. Sounds easy, but it's not always so easy, is it? It's hard to, to admit when you're wrong, even when it's right there in front of you, even when it blows up in front of you, 
You so want to find reasons why you were really right. That's all God was asking of them. I need to admit something to you. In my last lesson, a couple weeks ago, in my zeal to, to communicate the seriousness of the sin that, that Judah was in, I said something to the effect that God had cut them off, that he had terminated his covenant with them, and that there was no going back, that it was over. And I stand corrected. That was not true. I was wrong. The fact is, they were consequenced for their sin. They were cut off from the land, or they were going to be cut off from the land. But God was still providing a way for them to make it right. The covenant in Jeremiah's day was not terminated. Maybe you've wandered from what God calls right. Maybe you've embraced a few things that God calls wrong. In either case, God has provided a way for you to come back. But you have to be willing to admit you were wrong. Verse 14, return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town, two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days, when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and the nation, and all the nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days, the people of Judah will join the people of Israel. Together they will become, they will come from a northern land to the land I give your ancestors as an inheritance. So God tells Israel through Jeremiah that even though he had agreed to divorce them, even though he gave them their divorce, remember Israel had jumped headlong into idolatry and rebellion, and because of that, God said, well, look, if that's what you want, you can have it. He agreed to the divorce. The fact of the matter is what we just find out here in this real talk between God and Jeremiah is that God never actually gave up on them. He never actually stopped wanting to be husband to them. No matter how far they fell from God, he never gave up on them. But that didn't mean things were going to stay the same. They needed to change. And so in verses 16 and following, we have this prophetic view of the future. This is actually a prophecy. And it's a future where God envisions a day when both houses, north and south, all of Israel, would return to Jerusalem and to God, but this time there would be no Ark of the Covenant. You say, what is that? You've seen Indiana Jones. That's the Ark of the Covenant. For 800 years, the Ark of the covenant was the symbol of Israel's special relationship with God. Covenant means relationship. It was a contract, a relationship between God and the people we call Israel. And that ark represented that special relationship that God had with them. And God says that there's going to be a time coming 
when the ark will be no more. In other words, the covenant will be no more. So I know I just corrected myself and said that God didn't terminate the covenant. That's true. He didn't terminate it in Jeremiah's day, and he didn't even terminate it for, for several hundred years after that. But there was a day coming where he did terminate it, where he did bring it to an end. And that's what he's talking about here in verses 16 and 18 when he talks about people will not even remember the ark. It will be no more. He's saying there's going to be a day where that covenant's just going to be forgotten about. It's over. It's done. It's no more. So sorry, but the Ark of the Covenant is not lost in some government warehouse right now. Indiana Jones didn't find it, and it didn't get put away in some shelf somewhere and forgotten about. It's gone. There's shows. There's all these interesting things about where is it and where could it be. All I can tell you is after 586 B.C., when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem during the lifetime of Jeremiah, the ark vanished. There's no record of it. It's gone. And in its place, God was going to put a new and better covenant. Verse 17, he says, at that time, They will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Some 600 years after Jeremiah lived, a new prophet entered into Israel, into into Jerusalem. His name was Jesus, and he was more than a prophet. He was the Son of God. And with him came a new covenant, a new term, of relationships between God and people. And it wasn't only limited to Israel. It was open to all nations. And it's better than the old covenant because it's a covenant of choice, not a covenant by birth. Let me explain. In order to be a part of the old covenant, the original covenant, the one Jeremiah was living under, you had to be born into the Jewish community. You had to be born into it physically. You could get converted and convert to Judaism. That that could happen. But the general and the normative way was that you were born into it. It wasn't really your choice. But in Jesus' covenant, it's a covenant of choice. You choose to be in it. We call Israel God's chosen people. But as Christians, or people of the new covenant, are people who chose God. And that's why it's different. And that's why it's better. Because it's not about being forced to do what you don't want to do. It's about doing what you want to do. Being who you want to be. Choosing the covenant. And that happens at baptism. If you've not been baptized into Jesus' covenant, you're still looking for an ark that doesn't exist. So I want to invite anyone here to a Bible class that I'm going to start the first Sunday of the month for the next three months. We're just going to do it on the first Sunday of the month, July, August, and September. We're going to do it at 9.30 right here, maybe in one of the rooms, And the idea of this class is to teach, explain, and answer any questions you might have about the Jesus covenant. 
Now, if you've not covenanted with Jesus at baptism, I really want you to come. Because my goal is to help you move closer towards choosing Jesus. If you've already covenanted with Jesus, if you've already been baptized, I want you to think about the people in your life who you know who haven't been, who haven't covenanted with Jesus. Invite them. Bring them out. Let them come and be a part of it. It's going to be easy. It's going to be light. It's going to be conversational. We want the discussion. It's going to start July, first Sunday of July, first Sunday of August, first Sunday of September. My goal and my hope is that whoever comes will move a step closer to, part, to being part of that great covenant that Jesus brought in that Jeremiah prophesied about some 3,500 years ago. We're going to end by reading the last section of this interaction between God and Jeremiah. And what, what happens here in verse 19, it goes all the way into chapter 4, verse 4, is Jeremiah walks out of his real talk session with God, and he goes and he preaches to Israel. This is the, the sermon that Jeremiah wrote as a result of his time with God. I'd like to ask two things of you. One, when we do this, I'd like you to stand. You don't have to stand right now, but we'll stand because it's very traditional to stand during the reading of God's Word. Two, while I read it, whenever you hear the word Israel or Judah, I want you to imagine Jeremiah talking to you. I want you to imagine that that's your name if you've not covenanted with God at this time. For those of you who have, I want you to imagine Jeremiah talking to the people you love and care about who have not covenanted with Jesus. For the former, I hope you'll be inspired to come to the class, to return to God, to, to, to make a decision to covenant with him. For the latter, I hope you'll be inspired to pray for, to invest in, and to invite the people you care about to church, to the class, but to reach out to them. Because if they've not coveted with Jesus, they're still searching for an ark. So at this time, we're going to stand. I'm going to read the next section. It's just three slides. When we're done, I'll pray, and we'll be done. I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. A cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel, because they have perverted their ways and have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, faithless people. I will cure you of your backsliding. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Surely the idolatrous commotion of the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. From our youth, shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our ancestors' labor and their flocks and their herds and their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame. Let our disgrace cover us. We have sinned against the Lord our God, both we and our ancestors. From our youth till this day, we have not obeyed the Lord our God. If you, Israel, will return, then return to me, declares the Lord. If 
if you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if in truth, and, and, and if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by him, and in him they will boast. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow, um, do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you've done. Burn with no one to quench it. Let's think about the people that we love and care about who, who do not have a relationship with God, and let's be Jeremiah to them. Let's be the voice that calls them back. It, only, it all starts with admitting your guilt. For those of you who haven't done that, please, I'm making a call to you. Please turn yourself in. Admit you're wrong. And covenant with Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, it is so incredible to be here, to look at your word written some 3,000 years ago and know that it was, it was something that was genuine, it was real, it's authentic, and it's what is on your heart. It was on your heart then, and it's on your heart now. People have strayed from you, and you want them back. But God, you, they need to admit it. They need to come to the realization and agree with you that your way is the right way. And I pray, God, that you will inspire every one of us here to be motivated to help people we love and we care about come back to you. If anyone here hasn't done that, if anyone here hasn't covenanted with you, I pray, God, that they will soften their heart. They will make that decision and they will return to you even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.